Hey everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wild, TV host by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night, and a health and a life coach always. Come hang out as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely going to be some laughing, and hopefully you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life, to live your healthiest hot life. We have got Jessamine Stanley, an internationally acclaimed voice in wellness, joining us. Highly sought after for her insights on 21st century yoga and intersectional identity. As a successful award-winning yoga instructor and entrepreneur, she's the founder of The Underbelly, a streaming wellness app and community, co-host of the podcast Dear Jessamine, and co-founder of We Go High, a North Carolina-based cannabis justice initiative. She has done a lot of things. She's been on covers of magazines but today she is with us. Let's get into it. Healthy is hot community. We are, we are very lucky today because we have the Beyonce of yoga joining us. Jessamine Stanley. Hello, hello, and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for honoring my title. I appreciate that. It's something that I'm like, what now I'm like standing in it. And I'm just like, is that really a thing that I'm saying about myself? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'll own it. No, no, so thank like- you for that. Like my day job is in the entertainment space, doing a lot of interviews. And then my passion is like this healthiest hot world and this podcast. And I love Instagram and social media platforms because they're the ultimate like research tool when getting excited to hang out with someone. But the bio says a lot. And when I looked at your page and uh, the first thing I saw was Beyonce of yoga, I was like, oh, I am very intrigued now because that is a bold statement because there is only one Beyonce, but now there is a Beyonce of yoga. Mm-hmm. You know, the really the, the most Beyonce part of me is that we both have prominent Virgo placements and are extremely anal. And it's just like, there's a need to like, get it right and do it just exactly right. And I think that um, I'm, I'm owning the parts, the worst parts of Beyonce and calling myself the Beyonce of yoga. That's what that is. No, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. We just met like two seconds ago and I'm already very excited about this energy. And I think own it, shout it out loud, let everybody know what this bio means. Um, And I got to say, looking through, I mean, you've got so many projects on the go, you're across so many different platforms, but the biggest takeaway is just like your joy of moving your body, the unapologetic you that you show the world, which is so contagious like the energy is unbelievably contagious and you made me want to go and do sun salutations i mean it's just 108 of them i want to start there we're recording this in january 2023 friends and you know we still got that new year energy we're talking about a lot about goals right now but never in my life have i seen someone want to kick off their year with 108 sun salutations and i just want to like slow clap you know what honestly like okay here's the deal with it i had wanted to do it for you i've been practicing yoga for like 10 years and somewhere 
in the middle of that, I found out about this practice of doing 108 sun salutations for the new year. And it's really just an, a cleansing, a full reset. 108 is a deeply um, spiritual number. And so being able to just connect with that number, even if it's not 108 sun salutations is really powerful. But I did it as a new year's practice two years ago, and it was really profound and positive for me. And then I didn't do it last year. And last year I was like, Hmm, this is maybe I just like looking back on the year, I was like, what if I'd started with those sun salutations? So this year I was like, come hell or high water, I'm going to do it again. And I feel like being able to release into a practice like that is really just like, it's like anytime that you're really into movement, it's never because of like, accolades or like being able to say like i did this thing it's just because it makes you feel good and like if you talk to like distance runners they're not distance running because they're like wow look how great my body is gonna look they're literally like they're working out demons like they're trying to figure themselves out and so for me like being able to do the practice is just like it's just showing up for myself and like remembering that i am powerful and like even if maybe i start and I stop immediately and I don't pick it back up. That's, that is practice in and of itself, just to show up, to say like, I'm gonna come here on bended knee of self and I'm just gonna be myself fully. That is a surrender that I think is really challenging in the world that we live in. And for me being able to make that surrender on the first day of the year, feels like a really strong statement of self so that like okay where can we go from here and i mean yeah like you do it for the new year but a new year could start literally anytime so if you're listening to this like in june of 2027 or something like literally you could start a 108 today or tomorrow and just restart all the way again and one more thought on this um because i think about like releasing yesterday a lot because it's so easy to obsess over the past and there's a sia song called the church of what's happening now and in it there's a line where she says throw away yesterday today is a brand new day and that always Anytime that I'm struggling, I just retreat to that because it's like sometimes you just go, you just got to start again. Yeah. You shake that etch a sketch, which is exactly so shake harder. it. Like sometimes that's much harder to do in practice. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, just let it go. Like tomorrow's a new day. But in sometimes in the moment, you're like, I'm sorry, you want me to let that go? Like, but I'm in it. Like I'm in it and it sucks. And you're just telling me, mm, just let it go. Tomorrow's a new day. But there's so much power in that. If you can find a way to like make peace with the shit that is around you and welcome something fresh the following day. And I feel like it's like, like when you think about letting go, it always seems like it's like pretend like it doesn't exist. No, it's like looking at it fully, like stand in the shit, like let it smell bad, get covered in it, roll around in it, like don't look away. And then because of that, it's almost like you get bored and then you then that's how you let it go. But I think that like sometimes we process letting go as pretending something doesn't exist or like hiding from it. And that just means that you're going to have to stand in the shit later. You'll have to do it eventually now or decades from now shit doesn't go away like that's that's Never. honestly what we have to remember like it's got to get 
seen. It's got to get cleaned up. It's probably got to get disinfected. But then we can then we can move on. Exactly. Literally. But not until those steps have been approached. Literally. So going back to how you kicked off the year and just this idea of that awesome lyric from that Sia song, what did you let go from last year and what are you, you know, aiming to make space for as you step into this year? There is a lot that I need to let go of. And I do not, I can't say that I have let anything go a hundred percent, but what I am present to is this idea that I am not worthwhile and that I don't deserve and that I need to apologize for my existence and that I need to explain, like always have an explanation for why I'm showing up in space. Even earlier when we were talking about the Beyonce thing, it's like being like feeling like there's uh, some kind of excuse that's needed. And there's a lot of reasons for this that like we could have a larger conversation about the systemic dehumanization of fat black queer people in general, fat black women, especially, but I think that just on a personal level for me, it's like just being able to look at that, like, I think I don't deserve to exist. Hold that in space and then see what it would look like to not hold it all the time and to just move forward. And like that sort of thing comes up really naturally in a practice like a 108, for example, because there's a moment like if you say I'm going to do 108 sun salutations, the first few you're like, oh my God, I'm so powerful. Yoga is awesome. And then after like 10, you're like, okay, this is kind of stupid. How many more? I do 98 more. What the fuck? I'm like not even into it. And then there's a point where you're like, oh my God, I've done like 30 of these. This is incredible. And then you get to like 75 and you're like, wow. That's when the questions really start to come up and you really start wondering like, can I do this? Am I worthwhile? Do I deserve this? And those are all questions that are not just about a yoga practice. They're about how you show up in every part of your life. And so the pract- doing a practice like that, I think is really helpful just to even see the things that you might not wanna see. Certainly for me anyway. Yeah, it's almost like you you push yourself into like a state of flow, but it's like a state of flow that's gonna uncover like the the, the thoughts and the beliefs and the stories and, and the lived experience. And those are sometimes the ones that we like shove under the rug. But if you, I find when you push yourself physically, sometimes that comes up and you can't ignore it then. And then you have two choices. You either brush it back under the rug or you make a conscious choice to, to face it, whatever that looks like. And hopefully come out the other side, you know, hopefully for yourself feeling like you do deserve to take up space. Exactly. And I always think that like, if you're still alive, then you're winning, then it's still, there's still things to learn. Everything is still moving along as, as it needs to. Um, But I think that like the sweeping under the rug, I think I've also been really judgmental of that in the past, like judgmental of myself for like sweeping things under the rug or trying to pretend like things don't exist. But sometimes stuff is really hard to look at. Like there are truths about yourself that are really challenging and you have to take them in pieces and you have to look at them at different points in your life. Like you might come to a realization at 25 that you need to revisit at 35. And it's like, you know, it's just a process of accepting that that has to happen too. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saying that. Cause I definitely, 
I'm sometimes pretty judgmental about that too. Like I feel like shit about stuff and I'm like, why don't I just face it? Like, why am I like, I still haven't dealt with stuff from my childhood. Like, what am I waiting for? I'm 34. Like, you know, but if I'm not ready, like maybe that's okay too. Like maybe a healthy coping strategy is to just wait until you're in a better place to, to manage that. I think that's exactly right. And I literally yesterday was crying about something and I was saying like, like if I could, well, because, um, I have a lot of like repressed childhood memories and I don't like trying to think about it because it's like, you don't know what you're trying to think of anyway. But I had this feeling of like, I wish I could just remember because then I could move on. And I was like beating myself up. I was just like, girl, like this is, this is the point. There's no need to be. And that maybe that lesson is not for now. Maybe mm. that lesson is for then. And right now you're having 45. this experience. Yeah, maybe that's yes. maybe that's a 45 year old issue. Maybe that's Exa that's exactly right. Literally, exactly. <laughs> yes. I got very excited yes. about the, the 108, but I, I would love to know how and when you got like thrown into the world of yoga. Um, you mentioned it was 10 years ago, which means there was a life before yoga. And then there was the chapter that the yoga was introduced and now there's literal books written about your experience with yoga. But how did that start? What was that catalyst for you? Totally. So yeah, I never, I was never interested in yoga. Um, my aunt was actually like obsessed with it when I was in high school. And I talked about this a little bit in my book, Everybody Yoga, but she was like, so into Bikram yoga at the time, which is like a style of hot yoga. And I went with her. I hated it. I was like, this is dumb. I'm never doing this again. And then when I was in graduate school, I was just going through a really hard time in my life. Like um, I was going through a breakup um, and I was having a real crisis of conscience with I was doing. I was like, is this is this my life? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And I had a friend who was really into yoga and she was like, oh my God, come to yoga with me. And I was like, I've done that before. It's for thin white women. It has nothing to do with me. I do not want to do this. But when I went, like, first of all, it was a deeply alienating experience. Like I was usually the only fat person, frequently the only black person. Like I did not, every posture seemed impossible to me. Like even to sit with my legs crossed or to sit with my legs folded underneath me felt impossible. And um, what ended up happening though was not that I was like so flexible or that the postures got easy. It was that I did not notice how often I tell myself no. And in that space, it was just, lit up for me how frequently I would be like, I'm not even going to try to do this posture because it's too hard. Like, I can't do this. And I really started, and it wasn't even about the postures. It was like, how many other parts of my life am I telling myself no? Like, where else am I saying no? And that honestly is why I continue to come back to the mat is like, yes, my life has changed dramatically since I first went to those yoga classes. But like, Ultimately, I feel like I'm still just coming back so that I can remember that I am not the rules that I've set up for myself. Like you can have rules, you can have boundaries, they are important, but being able to see my light shine outside of that was really important for me. And so I got really into it, but I wasn't like, 
addicted right off the bat. I didn't get addicted until my aunt passed away. And usually I found that like, if people are really obsessed with yoga, probably something really bad happened. Like somebody died, they were depressed. They had some kind of like huge injury like learn how to use their body in a different way. And it really became like my solace through some really rough times. And, and it's not that yoga like fixed me or like made it, it's not like I don't still experience deep waves of depression and sadness because I definitely do. It's more that I'm accepting that the waves are supposed to happen and that the waves are a good thing and that what goes up must come down and that it's okay to live in the in-between from the good part and the bad part that you can live in the gray area. And, but even with all of that, I never like aspired to teach yoga because people would ask me to teach them. And I would be like, there are literally thousands of yoga teachers. You do not need for me to teach you yoga. But um, when I did go to teacher training, I realized that ultimately everyone should teach yoga, like the yoga of your life, whatever is happening in your life, because the practice of yoga is about compassion. It's about finding compassion within yourself and then radiating that compassion to other people. And if even one person is inspired to practice compassion for themselves, then they will share that with another person. And then that is how we, as a ripple effect, that's how we go from living in a world where we're moving from a place of fear. Right now we are moving from a place of deep seated fear, global anxiety. But if instead we can move from a place of shared compassion and love, that could really alter the way that our world works. So all of my teaching, all of my work um, from the classes that I teach on the underbelly, um, from the books, um, Everybody Yoga, Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance, my podcast, Dear Jessamine, everything is related to this idea of like self-acceptance and really just letting every part of your journey shine. Do you have ever imagined, like if you can go back in time with me and re-experience that first Bikram class with your aunt, where you not only felt alienated, but you were struggling with the postures, they felt hard. Could, could that Jessamine have ever imagined that 10 years later, this is where you would be, you'd be taking up space the way you are, you'd be holding space for other people to take up space? Never. And that is what is so beautiful to me about like, how we you never know where the journey is going to take you because <laughs> like literally i thought all of this yoga stuff i thought it was bullshit i was like this is flaky like i don't i just didn't believe i was like how i just i didn't believe at all and um i think sometimes though that feeling really strong negative emotions is like actually a key toward what you're supposed to be doing <laughs> that like if you feel really strongly about something it's probably because you're supposed to figure it out or like figure something out with it and i mean i don't i think that one of the things that is interesting about my work is that ultimately like i i am myself i 
share my yoga practice, but I'm just being myself. And when people see my practice, they're seeing themselves. Like they're like, oh my God, I can do this. Like, it's like, yes, I can do yoga, but it's also like, I can be myself. I don't have to apologize for being fill in the blank. Like everybody is apologizing for something, whether it's like too tall, too old, too, too ugly, too from this place too. like whatever the thing is, like being able to know that like you can just be yourself in it. I feel like that's really the message. And I, when I think back on that first yoga class, like I was, everybody else who was in the class was like way older than me. It was like everybody knew what they were doing. I actually thought that they had all like gotten together and practiced it together beforehand. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't get the memo. Nobody told me what outfit I was supposed to wear either. But like just being able to let that be true and not try to change it was and is really transformational for me. And even like I now, I feel like one of the questions that I get asked a lot is like, what do you do if you're in a yoga environment where like you don't feel safe or like you feel judged? And and it's not just yoga, it could be at the gym, it could be a CrossFit class, whatever the thing is. And I just feel like, first of all, judgments, it's a perception. So like you're, thinking that other people are judging you when really you're judging you. So like we could honestly, the conversation could stop there, but it's like, it's hard. Cause it's like, yeah, maybe that person is thinking that, but the only reason that you think that is because you are thinking that. So um, that, but then also like, let's say that you are being judged and maybe like the teacher is judging you and maybe they're like, um, you're too insert fill in the blank to be in this class or to be at this gym or whatever. It's always just a reflection of how they feel about themselves. Like um, Don Miguel Ruiz said in the four agreements that like, we should never take anything personally, like that everything is always about the other person. And I feel like, especially when it comes to moving your body, it is such a vulnerable place in space to be in. Like it's hard to, feel othered whenever you're trying to be intimate with your body but the power that comes from persevering in that kind of space and really taking up space unapologetically you're inspiring all the people around you to do the same thing and you're increasing your capacity to do it in other parts of your life maybe it's at work or at home or wherever so it's usually hard but also worthwhile yeah you posted something it was like so powerful and it was no one else can live your truth if you are yourself as honestly authentically and unapologetically as possible that makes space for others to do the same thing and so it's almost like we gotta live our truth even if it's just a little bit because by doing that again it goes back to those like ripple effects and that's why it's so important to when we can when it feels good when it feels safe like to just be yourself because you're fucking great the way you are and like other people's shit sometimes gets projected oh but that four agreements like don't take things personally probably one of the hardest ones but like literally yeah a practice a daily practice oh my god it is so hard first of all all four of the agreements and the fifth agreement which is like another book they are so hard and they seem like really really simple and it's just it's so challenging and i think that like saying like 
just let it all be there. It sounds really easy, but I think it's like, it's really hard, but the rewards are so big that in my opinion, it makes the work worthwhile. You mentioned how yoga can be quite intimate just like a second ago. And I don't know that there's anything more intimate than doing yoga naked. There's not. In front of a bunch of strangers or your friends or your community or whoever. Um, So I got to ask you about naked yoga because, I mean, you're making it a thing. I'm first of all, I do. I take no credit. Literally, like there's so many people who have been out here paving the way for naked yoga. But like I this is my thing. I found that I was literally putting on clothes to take videos of my yoga practice so that I could post it on social media, because usually when I practice yoga, I'll practice yoga either naked or as close to naked as possible, because when you're in the postures, if you're wearing a lot of clothes, it's hard to even know what's going on with your body. And you can like really manipulate your flesh in a different way and look at yourself more fully. Um, It is very intimate. And I think that it's so counterintuitive to how we're taught to show up, but it is also a way to get in touch with yourself that is just, there's no parallel. Like you cannot, it is fundamentally different to practice yoga closed and then to practice it naked. And I don't practice yoga naked around other people usually. Like I practice yoga, I mean like my partners, sure. But beyond them, like I, that is a, private practice and i think and that's what's so dope about you can practice naked yoga with me on OnlyFans, and it's just me and you in your home (laughs) practice having our private yoga space like nobody's looking at you nobody's judging you you don't even actually have to be naked like maybe that's not the thing and honestly one of the other benefits of even just watching a naked yoga class is that you can look at the posture way more in depth and learn more about it than if the person is wearing clothes but it's also like it's just (laughs) it's funny like I was raised in a very conservative environment and like it was not my parents do not practice naked yoga, for example. So like being able to let that work of because I feel so like prudish, you know, like even being on OnlyFans, I'm like, okay, oh my goodness, like I have so much decolonizing to do within myself around it. And I feel like if it's in my opinion if it don't hurt if it's not offering you a deep lesson then it's probably not worthwhile so i i love it i love that we have community there and it's just like the coolest thing to me i mean when people are showing up and and you know partaking in naked yoga do you find they're getting a different experience like a different level of takeaway by bearing all to themselves in that type of way Yes, I definitely think that everyone who practices naked yoga is having a much more intimate and rich experience with themselves. Like you can go to depths within yourself that you can't go if you're wearing clothes and and just being able to like bear your soul physically it means that the tears can flow more easily and it means that the strength can really grow more easily as well. All right. I guess I'm going to have to try naked yoga. You're going to have to. I love, I love fashion and I love workout wear. And I, I love looking at your workout wear. They're so amazing that 
if it's like a black and white cow print, I don't know if it's cow print, but it's so yes. good. Anyways, I think that one's my favorite. And so, but sometimes clothing can be a little bit of an armor. Sometimes it can be something, yes, that expresses ourselves, but sometimes it can also be something we hide behind. And so this idea of just stripping down and moving with yourself and connecting to your breath, it feels terrifying in a really exciting way. Exactly. Like, I love having a look, you know what I mean? Like, I love having, it's it's the best thing. And it's one of the most fun things I think about going to live in person classes is like being able to like, have your look and then like, put like layer it however you want to for after or before. But being able to have a space where you can just like really let loose and be yourself is a whole other thing. And then that sacred private experience really makes you so much more powerful when you do have your look on when you do put your clothes on so it all works together in my opinion a hundred percent if you can be confident naked you can be extra confident when you have like an amazing fit on as well exactly literally um also an author i want to talk (laughs) about your latest book um pretty rad that you have like multiple books out. Like, I don't know how you do all the things you do. Yoke, my yoga and self-acceptance. Um, it sounds so interesting. Like a, it's a collection of autobiographical essays. Yes. So yoke, I t- started writing yoke when I was writing my first book, everybody yoga, because I realized that like in EBY, even though like you can read everybody yoga and literally go from never having practiced yoga to practicing down dog by the end of the book but i felt like the way that i was talking about it was just rather one-dimensional it's like we're only talking about postures and like a little bit about meditation a little bit about cultural appropriation but what ends up happening when you start a yoga practice is that it just kicks up all this shit, all these deep emotions that you've been trying to hide from and like everything is out races internalized racism fat phobia, slut shaming, like all capitalism, all of these things come up. And yoga is about what it looks like to really practice that yoga, the yoga of everyday life. And I think that like, when I first started writing yoga, I totally thought that it was going to be like my opportunity to talk about how much white people have gotten on my nerves in yoga spaces over the years and at some point in writing it i realized that there was nothing that i needed to say to another human being that i did not need to first say to myself and so when you read yoke it's really showing that it's okay to be problematic. It's okay to say the wrong thing. We're all going to offend somebody at some point. And that the point is not to like get it right all the time. The point is to just show up and be yourself. Was it terrifying to put together and put out? Oh my God, totally. It also took a lot longer than I thought it was going to. When my publisher first asked about it, I was like, yeah, it'd be like a year. And I remember my editor was like, really a year you think you do it in a year and i was like yeah totally four years later um it was (laughs) right it was like because um you know there's a whole research process that needed to happen and then the excavation of emotion is really intense but there was some part maybe when recording the audiobook so you can get yoke literally anywhere the books are sold and you can get it on audible and it's read by me and that some part of that process made it like wow okay this is helpful for my healing, frankly, so that even beyond like, yes, go get yoke, please read yoke, but also like, write down your stories, <laughs> write down your trauma, write it down, because like, it just helps to be able to move on and like, to be like, look, 
this is my real truth. This is who I am. Other people don't have to agree with it. And I was definitely scared because I was talking about internalized racism, for example. And that's something that I've not heard a lot of other fat black women talk about. And I felt like, I was like, am I breaking a rule? Am I like, am I gonna get kicked out of the club? Am I gonna be cold from the herd? And I think that in order to tell the truth, sometimes you just have to let that be there. And it's like, maybe that will happen. Maybe I will be cast out. But that the, the good feeling that comes from just saying your truth is invaluable. There's no, you can't put a dollar on it. So um, yeah, it was definitely hard, but totally worth it. And lastly, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by. When you <laughs> talked about that first yoga class, you said you went in and you thought yoga was just for a bunch of thin white women. That was 10 years ago. Here we are 10 years ago. Honestly, if you've looked at you know, ads for fitness campaigns or covers of fitness magazines, it was probably all thin white women. Thankfully, that has started to change. But from your experience, literally being in that space as a yoga entrepreneur, have you seen changes in the space as far as representation in the wellness industry? That is a great question. I've seen a lot of changes in the last 10 years. I think that the most important thing for me with this kind of work is just to never get complacent that like there we can always be doing more we can always go further. Like just the what the covers of magazines look like now versus 10 years ago, some magazines are the same. But others they're experimenting and you know trying things on and and it is about incremental change and i actually think that the most important work that we can do is with our children to be like really open about the journey of healing so that that can facilitate them just being cool with it being a journey and a process and i think that in a few generations we could see real change but i think that you know 10 years is not that long and i don't think that I think that a lot of the racism and a lot of the fat phobia that was there is still there, maybe cloaked in a different mask. Maybe it is um, being called something else. And there's a lot of tokenism that happens now too. And frankly, I feel like I've been a part of that. I've been really, it's been really cool to work on like global ad campaigns for really cool brands and to be featured on the cover of magazines. But I think that it gives the impression of a faster rate of progress than we're actually seeing. But when it's weighed in the balance, like, Okay, here's an example. I remember um, one book tour stop, there was this kid with his parents, just like a very like normie looking white boy, like maybe like eight years old. And he was so stoked to be there. Like he had my book. He's like, oh my God, I'm so excited, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, this is your reality. Like, this is your childhood. What are you gonna be like in your thirties? Like, who knows? So. I remain optimistic, but I definitely think that we have way more work to do for sure. A hundred percent. Here's to seeing what the world looks like in 10 years. And hopefully it's not just some masquerade or some cloak 
Um, man, I, I could talk to you all day. I mean, friends, Desmond has got so much going on. The Underbelly, go check it out, a streaming wellness app and community. Of course, we've got the podcast, Dear Desmond, multiple books. We'll put everything down below and also check out your TikTok. It's really fun. So um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Healthiest Hot Podcast. Really quickly, in 30 seconds, though, can you tell me why Pigeon Pose always makes me want to cry? Oh my God, it's meant to make you cry. It's because our hips hold our fight or flight instinct. So every moment where you're like, like, should I do this? Should I do that? It just gets trapped in your hips. Oh. And then the moment that you slide into pigeon pose, it's just like waterworks every time, every time. Yeah. I love that for you so much. And I relate and I'm so grateful that you said that. Thank you. Yeah. Leaky eye syndrome. Um, well, listen, hopefully this is a see you later, not a good Yes. Thank yes, you. for sure. Thank you so much for having me, Chloe. You were such a joy. Well, 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 who else is feeling fired up and inspired after that chat? Yeah, same here. I can't believe I'm saying this, but just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast in the books. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. And look, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a cute little comment. Follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Brought to you by Clarence.